0: Margaret Preston, president of Power Over Parkinson's, and today, in conjunction with our POP Profile series, we have Dr. Juhi Jimenez-Shahed, here neurologist at Mount Sinai, also the medical, medical director of movement disorders, neuromodulation, and brain circuit therapeutics, and finally, the associate professor of neurology and neurosurgery at the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Juhi, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's our pleasure. Well, if you're ready to get started, we'll jump through some of our questions and meet again at the end.
1: Absolutely. Let's do it.
0: Great. Thanks. Uh, So as we begin our discussion, tell our listeners how um, you kind of progressed into a career in neurology.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I started out my career oh, probably over 20 years ago now, so it's it's been a little bit of a while. I you know I think when students get into medical school, they have lots of different ideas about what they think they might want to do, and in the end, as they go through their different rotations, you get to experience a little bit of. Um, you know, kind of a slice of life as as a different kind of specialist, and you ultimately settle on on what it is that you like. And so I did the usual thing. I started out with one idea, and then I maybe got a second idea, and then finally uh, settled on neurology. But I think it was it was the right choice. The reasons um, that I really thought neurology were or was the right career for me just had a lot to do with the patient population and the types of disorders that um, I, I know patients are facing, and it just felt really right to be able to you know, try to better understand. Uh, both the problems that these patients were having, but then also the changing landscape of the therapeutics that were available. And it was really apparent to me at that time that things were going to be changing in neurology and we were going to have a lot more treatment options now than we did even back then. And so um, I felt like there was a lot of excitement in the field. And I think that's definitely been borne out in, in what I've seen over the years.
0: Yeah, I think that definitely holds true even to today, 20 years later. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Uh, well, so I'm going to tell our listeners that you are also on the science advisory board uh, for the Davis Finney Foundation, and as many of our listeners know, Davis Finney focuses on living well with a disease. So, in a few short takeaways, share with our listeners what are some things that they can do to live well with Parkinson's disease.
1: Yeah, I think you know Parkinson's is one of these multifaceted disorders, and thankfully, there's a lot of different approaches that can be taken. But I think probably you know, the number one thing is to sort of arm yourself with information and and try to understand, you know, what's going on. What is it? What does the disease, you know, how does it show up? What are the symptoms or the problems that you can have? And, And try to understand those in the context of the different treatments that are available and how those treatments are intended to help you. And I think, you know, organizations such as yours, as well as the Davis Finney Foundation and a number of other local, as well as national organizations do a really great job of um, educating uh, their constituents or their members about these types of issues. And I think you know starting there and just being a part and listening and trying to, you know kind of hear and understand all of that information is, is great as well as communicating with your physician about it. And that's what I would say is really kind of the second big thing that I believe strongly in is having a good and strong working relationship with your treating physician. Um, so finding somebody that you can work with, somebody who understands the disease, who can answer your questions, will take the time to answer your questions. Um, And that you can sort of take those um, issues too and and have confidence that they're going to be addressed in the way that you need them to. Um, And then, of course, thirdly, I would say, as I think everybody hears is, you know, just taking care of yourself and exercising and, um, you know, making sure that you're taking time to kind of address um, all the different aspects of, of this disorder as you can.
0: Yeah, I love the second one you noted regarding the care provider-patient relationship. It's ultimately a true partnership. I'm sure you th- find that to be true with your patients. Yeah, and
1: I and I think it's also one of the most rewarding parts of doing this work, which is that you get to have those sort of uh, ongoing, long-term uh, relationships with patients. And I think we sort of see how things evolve. We know that Parkinson's affects not just the patient, but also you know the environment around them and, and other family members and things like that. So I really have gotten to know a lot of my patients fairly well. Over the years, and you know, it's, it's nice to see that we can have that kind of a working relationship, and nice to see the sort of uh, results of that um, uh, when it works well and, and people, you know, get the results that we're looking for.
0: Yeah, well, moving on, um, working in the neurological disease space can certainly be tough sometimes due to the inevitable decline of the patient. Tell me what keeps you optimistic and enthusiastic working in this space.
1: Yeah, I thought a little bit about that question when I saw it on your list of of things that you wanted to talk about today. And I, you know, I'll maybe start by just relating a story. Like I have two little stories to tell you. One was just a a recent patient that I saw and he, you know, we actually did the visit by video. He didn't even come into my office, but it was very clear uh, on this evaluation that he had Parkinson's disease and it was, um, you know, absolutely necessary for him to start medication. And we did that. And I think some of his other physicians maybe had been hesitant to really kind of solidify that diagnosis or start the treatment for him yet he was you know quite impaired and you know the simplest thing which was just understanding what was going on having that conversation knowing what questions to ask starting him on levodopa and then a month later we had our follow-up visit video visit and he was so grateful and it was so you know just amazing to see the smile on his face it was a completely you know sort of transformed person and and that's why you know we do this right because we know that there's things like that, that can make an absolute difference in in patients' lives. And he and his wife were both extremely, you know, sort of grateful for having had, um, you know, the opportunity to go through that evaluation and start the treatment and and kind of make progress. And so that's, that's one reason. The other I'll tell you is um, kind of similar. I, you know, in my training, of course, as most movement disorder specialists, we get exposed to deep brain stimulation. And it was just that first patient, that's all it took, was that first patient to really sort of see, you know, the transformation that people can have when it's, obviously the right patient at the right time and all of those things, but again just being able to make such an obvious difference in such a short amount of time by really just taking the time to pay attention and and implement the appropriate therapies for them.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Your your first story um, kind of dovetails into my next question, question, which is fantastic. Needless to say, Parkinson's is a diagnosis that takes time to navigate, navigate but ultimately leads to positive outcomes um, through therapy and medication. But tell me what advice you would give to folks who are newly diagnosed with the disease.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it maybe goes back a little bit to, um, you know, sort of what I was saying earlier. You know, when you're newly diagnosed, I, I completely understand you sort of see the look of fear that some people may have, or just maybe frank devastation because they're worried. I mean, I think, you know, one piece of advice that I often give my patients is not to think about Parkinson's as the disease they may have understood or heard about years ago, because vast differences these days in terms of our understanding of the disorder and the approach to the treatment. Um, and so it's not really your grandfather's Parkinson's anymore. It's it's really sort of a new kind of phase in terms of how we approach it. And I think that therapeutic landscape is definitely, you know, um, beneficial for patients and it's constantly evolving in the sense that there are, you know, a lot of good research efforts going on, trying to find new therapeutics and trying to uh, find ways to sort of slow that ultimate progression. And Although the progress of science may seem slow, the fact that there is a lot of science going on and and people trying to figure out ways to do this, that is, I think, very reassuring and and very promising. And hopefully is something that people can kind of um, attach onto as as kind of a symbol of hope that um, it's it's not, you know, it's it's a manageable condition.
0: Yeah. And I love, I'm hoping the takeaway of this entire discussion is it's not your grandfather's Parkinson's. I've never heard that, and that's a fantastic (laughs) quote because it's not. And in your 20 years that you had discussed, it's evolved immensely. So I think that's such a great quote to take away. So thank you for putting it in that, in that realm. Um, So similarly, a similar question, what advice would you give to those folks who are, who've had the disease 10, 15, Mm -hmm. 20 years? Um, Because sometimes uh, therapy becomes stagnant, um, motivations become stagnant. So what advice would you give to that population?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it is, it is a challenging disease, right? I mean, although we have treatment options and we can approach it, um, you know, in in different ways, as as I was talking about, I mean, there are, you know, inevitably uh, changes and and differences that people are going to experience over that time period. And I think, um, you know, that is also something that requires a good understanding of, so you kind of have a frame of reference for why certain things might be happening, and again, that requires a good relationship with your physician. It, you know, in, um, also incorporates uh, just making sure that you continue to you know try to read about what it is that's out there, or hear about it, or participate in in you know any kind of educational program so you can hear kind of what is sort of the latest and the greatest and the newest things that are going on, um, so that you can maintain that sort of level of hope of uh, you know. Of eventually you know being able to handle this and and kind of attack it in a much more um sort of uh, aggressive way i guess than i yeah. than what we're used to doing yeah. um but you know there's always ways to help so i think you know having that conversation seeking the care um identifying what the issues are and and really just kind of you know doing your best to take it by the horns and and doing something about it i think those are those are really um the best tools.
0: Yeah. Communication is key. It's yeah. like. understanding what's going on and communicating it and mm-hmm. then trying to figure out a solution. Yep. it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, we've talked about Parkinson's and it's not your grandfather's Parkinson's. It's often synonymous. Um, the, the folks who don't know a lot about the disease, it's often synonymous with the tremor, um, but there's so many facets and intricacies of the mm-hmm. disease. If you could shine a light on one symptom, um, a, a lesser known symptom just to share with the world, what would it be? Uh,
1: yeah, so I, I thought about how I would answer that. And I think um, one of the projects that I did sort of early in my career, we were uh, working with my um, center judges as well as at Baylor College of Medicine, um, and there was sort of an observation that was made that patients with Parkinson's might like actually crave sweets. And so what is that about, right? So craving sweets, we don't often think about that as a symptom of Parkinson's disease, right? Uh I mean, we think about the movement problems and yes, there is greater understanding of the non-motor symptoms, but then what is this thing? And so we started asking patients about it and I, I don't remember the specific numbers of it but if you ask, you will find that a lot of patients just sort of have that sweet tooth and it kind of changes and develops alongside the Parkinson's disease. And what we ended up kind of tra- relating it to is that it might. Um, sort of be similar in some ways to um, what we otherwise recognize as impulse control uh, problems in Parkinson's. So people who might have, you know, um, excessive shopping or excessive computer use or uh, binge eating, things like that. And it maybe falls into a similar kind of category. Um, but if you ask, and if you ask enough, enough uh, Parkinson's patients, you'll find out that they've <laughs> a lot of them have a, a pretty good suite too.
0: How interesting. Now, uh, if I can delve deeper, um, maybe a follow-up question on that: Is that because of the lower dopamine mm-hmm. levels and the impulsivity trying to almost create that
1: feeling? In mm-hmm. it? I mean, it's probably more complex than simply. I'm a, probably simplifying uh, it. No. Yeah. Well, no, no, and I didn't mean it that way, but I think um, just you know it as we age, right? So our taste buds change, our sense of smell might change in certain ways. And then we know on top of that with Parkinson's, you can lose your sense of smell. Um, So then there might be, you know, some, in some ways a sort of compensatory mechanism to try to still get that sort of um, stimulation. Um, But then there's also, there is also kind of the reward seeking uh, aspect of of Parkinson's or changes in the award seeking that uh, may relate even to the medications that patients are taking. And so while we didn't get to really um, understand all the specific underpinnings of that, Mm -hmm. I I do agree with you, it probably does have a lot to do with the dopamine changes that are Mm -hmm. going on in, in the brain.
0: Yeah, it truly is fascinating. So uh, we have not heard that answer before. So (laughs) So. It's definitely a unique one. So thank (laughs) you for sharing that. Um, Now, uh, kind of a similar question, if you could wave a magic wand. Now, perhaps this is in the form of a grant, um, a research study that um, you ultimately uncover this uh, fantastic cure for a specific symptom. What symptom would you like to tackle and wave that wand? Um itself.
1: <laughs> wow, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, I think there are many symptoms that we would like to have a better handle on than we currently do. But I think the one that, I don't know, in my mind that seems relatively elusive is this question of fatigue. And I think Um, you know, a lot of patients sort of have that complaint and it's, you know, we kind of go down our mental checklist of what are the things that can contribute to fatigue? Is it a thyroid problem? Is it a vitamin deficiency? Are you not sleeping well? Is it from your medications? Is it, you know, any number of different things that we try to consider and yet there doesn't seem to be that one uh, sort of clear explanation in in all patients. So if I had a magic wand to wave, Mm -hmm. it would be to figure that one out and and try to have that problem because I think, um, you know, we we currently have um, fewer options in, in terms of uh, managing it um, yeah. because there's so many different aspects to it, I think.
0: And it bleeds into every other well, aspect, yeah. right, of their, of their care. So that's, yeah. that's great, thank you. Um, now there's so much, as you know, there's so much Parkinson's research all, going on all around the world, um, from therapeutic strategies to surgical uh, procedures. What's something or a research project um, or category that you're particularly excited about?
1: So uh, my main clinical and research focus is actually in deep brain stimulation. So I really you know, like a lot of things um, that are related to DBS. First, it's a great therapy for the right patient at the right time, and, and we can see some really great uh, amounts of symptom control, which, of course, is satisfying for uh, all around for everybody, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, some of the, the things that I think are really exciting in the field of DBS right now, uh, relate to uh, some of the new technology that we have available. And the fact that, and this also kind of uh, parallels some of the research uh, that I did and, and continue to, to do, which is related to the brain signals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now, you know, with the deep brain stimulator devices, we can actually record what's going on in the brain and kind of understand uh, a little bit more about, um, you know, how or why the symptoms are kind of showing up and how they might be changing over time in relationship to medications and also uh, changing in relationship to uh, the stimulation that is being provided. And so, this new sort of capability to do that in patients who are, you know, sort of chronically implanted. With these devices is really amazing because we can really use that as a tool to understand a lot more about the disease uh, and to study it in different ways and then also to study if we make a change how does that impact you know what these brain signals are and are we um, you know are we really kind of, solving a problem um, in kind of the right way or um, with the right markers and and things like that. So I think that has been one of the most sort of really exciting things for me uh, personally, just because, you know, we've been looking at those brain signals for a while now and how they relate to uh, different signals. And and now we can actually even envision a scenario and and some of this clinical trials work is already starting where you can use those brain signals to actually control the way the stimulation is being delivered so that you really can more um, specifically individualize the deep brain stimulation therapy for uh, for patients. So that's that's super exciting to me.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. Now with your specialty in DBS, where would you like to see the procedure in 5 to 10 years?
1: Yeah, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on whether it's techniques, like surgical techniques in terms of getting, you know, the electrode into the best place possible, whether it is learning more about how we program and Understanding how to manage different side effects, or having even new technologies available to sort of optimize all of those things. But I think um, you know, in a in a perfect world, we would be able to just get that electrode into the best spot possible for the you know for that individual patient. Uh, and I think we're we're learning more and more about sort of this individuality um, and and how to really kind of be um, you know addressing the specific needs of that specific patient. And I think um, you know that's. I would love to see that kind of evolve in the next five to 10 years so that we can just be a little bit more, um, you know, maybe take some of that residual guesswork out of, um, or, or trial and error work out of uh, the way that we currently approach um, deep brain stimulation. Okay.
0: Thank you so much. And that's so true. What you noted um, in terms of Parkinson's as a whole, how individualized care, whether it's DBS or just as a whole treating the,
1: the person is such an individual yeah. process. Yeah. I mean, even from just medications or what specific recommendations we make for a patient at the end of an office is it very much depends on, you know, what's going on with that individual. And so I mean, you have to, you can't do this with a cookie cutter. Or a yeah,
0: well, and then it's an exciting time for people with Parkinson's because physicians recognize that, that there's not one size fits all. Um, and right. It's individualized and we hear you and we understand that yours looks like this and your snowflake over here looks different. Um,
1: yeah, we yeah, can exactly. kind of
0: facilitate and bend and be flexible with our care and the resources we have. So it's exciting in, yeah, in a positive really. way. Yeah, I think
1: it gives um, us of opportunities.
0: So, Juhi, we've learned a lot about your goals for the neurological space, DBS, um, and extracted all of your knowledge um, in a 15-minute, 20-minute time frame. So, share with our listeners a little bit about what you do for fun when you're stepping away from the neurological world. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, so I have uh, a wonderful family, a husband, two children, my kids are nine and 12. So I love spending time with them, especially on the weekends, because the weeks are pretty hectic with school and work and all of that kind of stuff. So any kind of opportunity we can get to go and kind of hang out anywhere or just spend time together is is certainly, um, you know, something I look forward to on a, on a regular basis. But I think at, at my heart, I'm also, um, a beach girl I enjoy going to the beach and so um, you know you can take and my kids love it too so um, we will be readily ready to pack our bags anytime there's an opportunity for a for a beach vacation I love nothing more than just sitting in the sun and just you know relaxing and napping and, and enjoying the sounds
0: that's great thank you so much for sharing a little bit more about yourself I think it's always fun to hear the physicians outside of their world um, and get to know them in that way so thank you for sharing that
1: Yeah, no problem. Thank you. We have
0: completed all of my questions, Juhi. I wanted to tell our listeners um, before we let everybody go that Juhi will actually be one of our experts on our November 9th roundtable webinar. Um, We'll be talking about another controversies in Parkinson's series, DBS, sooner or later, um, whether we should uh, pursue the procedure sooner in the course of our disease or later. Um, Again, that's November 9th at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And of course, the details are on our website, PowerRepedy.org, and we'll start communicating that within the couple weeks um, preceding the webinar. So, Juhi, thank you for your time today, as well as um, the upcoming webinar in November. Um, we truly appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you, Margaret, for inviting me. Enjoyed speaking with you today, and I look forward to having some more conversations during the webinar in the future. Definitely. Thank you. Great. Thank you.